We do love God's word. It is, a, it is a, our life. It gives salvation. Listen then to God's word from 1 Peter chapter 1. Read verses 22 through 25. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren... Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. What holds a congregation together? The truth of the matter is that differences tend to drive people apart. Furthermore, while we are children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, we still sin. We sin against God and we sin against each other. Selfishness, pride, anger, unkind words, and so on drive wedges of division within the church. So what holds a congregation together? Christian love does. The love of Christ at work in you and me and in all the members of the church. The love of Christ that empowers you to love God and to love your neighbor. This is the only thing that will hold our congregation together. Without it, our fellowship will fail, it will fly apart. This portion of 1 Peter is about loving one another. Several times in this short letter, Peter has called attention to the awesome truth that Jesus Christ has loved us, that he has laid down his life for us, securing salvation for us, sinners, those who have been his enemies. And it is by God's divine love that he draws us into a relationship with him and a relationship with each other. And this plays an important part in Peter's letter to the very first readers who would have this. They were facing all sorts of persecution from the outside. Just think of what it would be like if they gave rein to their selfish intentions on the inside. They would be attacked and were attacked just as we are, just as you are, from without and within. And so Peter writes and commands, love one another from the heart. Love one another from the heart. You can trace this thought of Peter's back to Jesus' own teaching. Matthew 22, a lawyer asked Jesus to summarize the law. What is the greatest commandment? How would, you, how would you say it? Remember what Jesus said? 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And then privately, Jesus taught his disciples that if you love God, you will love your brothers and sisters in Christ as well. John 15. So today, from this passage, I want to preach on that, uh, on that second great commandment, standing on the first commandment. You shall love God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in this case, Peter gives very helpful applications of that command. So what does it mean to love your neighbors? What does it look like? And I have to confess that I found this to be a very convicting passage. We all face many types of unbelief. We do battle with our own sins. Sins that do affect our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. In that light, I was moved by what the commentator Harold says about this. If we find ourselves lacking in any aspect of this love, we should prayerfully ask God, who is love, to lead us to a fuller, deeper, and more vibrant love of the brethren. That's my desire today, that we would pray that he would lead us to a fuller, deeper, and more vibrant love of the brethren. Now take note that Jesus' command is even broader than that. Love God, love your neighbor. That encompasses not just those in the church, but those that are outside the church as well. But Peter's going to apply it more narrowly and appropriately apply it more narrowly, speaking specifically of loving those that are closest to you, and especially loving those in the family of faith brothers and sisters in Christ. This comes from verse 22, the exhortation that really governs all of these verses. Love one another from the heart. In fact, that's uh, the, uh, the first point that I'll make, love one another from the heart. I find it interesting that in the, uh, in the Bible that I use that uh, gives a heading there, the heading is the enduring word of God. That is part of this passage, but it misses really the point of this passage. The command that's given here is to love one another. And then it describes the things that provide the source and the power that we can fulfill that command, love one another from the heart. Well, notice in verse 22 how Peter makes a connection between the first great command and the second He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. You can see the second command very clearly. That's that command, love one another. But the love of God comes through in the first part of that verse. Since you have purified your souls obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Since you have purified your souls. When Peter uses that word, he is thinking especially about redemption. 
He's thinking about how God has set you aside to be holy unto himself. There is a purification that happens in our sanctification. You're applying that today, but the beginning of our purification is the act of God to redeem us from all unrighteousness. In fact, the word purification suggests and implies the opposite. What's the opposite of being pure? Well, it's to be corrupt, to be polluted, to be defiled. And that's what sin does. That's what sin is. It's a corruption, a defiling of who mankind is. In fact, you can see it from the the very beginning of the Bible. Think back into the Garden of Eden of when sin entered the world. When Adam sinned against God, his sin and now our sin has brought judgment against us and has corrupted every relationship that we are in. Think of what Adam did when he he sinned. He hid from God. From God. The relationship that he had had beforehand was shattered by his sin, such that because of his shame and the knowledge of his guilt drove him from the presence of God. Think of that relationship now being broken. As part of God's judgment, God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. No longer would they walk and talk with him as they had. Sin then and now has far-reaching consequences into every relationship that we have. It sows seeds of alienation and conflict between God and man, between husband and wife, between one person and others in general. But the grace of God purifies you from sin. Through Christ, God has has reconciled you to himself. He has brought you back into a relationship with him. He has set you free from that curse of sin, from the judgment that stands against you. And by the Holy Spirit, God is is at work in you day by day to purify your soul by obedience to the truth the Spirit. Now remember that Peter isn't claiming that you can purify your own soul in and of your own strength. To put it another way, he isn't teaching salvation by works. He has in mind the pursuit of holiness that God himself empowers through his indwelling spirit. God alone can make a dead heart alive And he alone can liberate you to live with him and with others. The logic then is this. Since God has saved you, love one another. Since God has saved you, love one another. And to make it clear, uh, Peter uses uh, two different words for love. Uh, Bible commentators really enjoy uh, highlighting the different words for love that are used. 
Peter uses two of them here. You can tell it by the way it's translated. One of them is the brotherly love that we have. The word that uh, is Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love. So that comes from the Greek, the idea of the, the love of brothers and sisters, the familial love. Peter describes that, uses that word. But there is also that other word that the Bible highlights, the self-sacrificing love that God has for sinners. Probably even familiar with the word. It's the word agape. It's that kind of love that Peter commands us to have for one another. The selfless decision to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then to this command to love, Peter adds several adjectives. He says that we are to love purely, sincerely, fervently, and from the heart. Let me just just expand on each, uh, each of those words very briefly. He says to love purely. You, You are a new creation in Christ. You have been cleansed from the power and the chains of selfishness, of jealousy, envy, and so on. And we still do wrestle with these things, but by your nature, by your new nature, you are free from those sins, free to love one another with a pure heart, a heart that belongs to God rather than being in bondage to sin. You're to love sincerely. And that word literally means without pretending, without hypocrisy. When you pretend to love someone, it really isn't love, is it? You could pretend to love a food. You might fool your parents even that, uh, that you love that, uh, that vegetable. But the proof is in the eating, right? As soon as it goes in your mouth, your face shows that you you don't really love that vegetable. Well, love can keep up, uh, or pretended love might be able to keep up appearances for a while, but it won't stand the test of time. It won't stand the test of conflict that comes into all relationships because of the remaining sin that we battle against. Superficial love flinches. It turns away under trial. But godly love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love fervently. This idea has the idea of warmth or zeal. Finally, love from the heart, or as the New King James put it, love from a, with a pure heart. This is in contrast of doing something merely because it is your duty. It is something that is, is an expression of your conviction and your devotion to God and to those around you. When you put it all together, you have a picture of relationships that are sincere and genuine, that are full of warmth and mutual benefit. 
read a book recently on evangelism, and one of the things that has been a hurdle to the sharing of the gospel in the modern age is that those who are outside of the church know when there is insincerity, or when there is a lack of genuine interest in an individual. It turns them off. They can tell. The love that we are to share with one another is a genuine, sincere love, full of warmth and mutual benefit. Public service announcement. That love won't be perfect. It won't be. That's just the reality of life this side of glory. But loving from the heart will cover a multitude of sins. Love one another from the heart. Verses 23 through 25 now turn to consider the source and power of Christian love. Peter does this just so you get the idea that love is not something that you can drum up yourselves. All of our obedience will fall short if that's the only source and power that's driving it. Because we will we will faint and grow weary. We will fail over and over again. But the source and power of Christian love doesn't come from us. It comes from above. Listen to verse 23 where Peter points out the basis of our love is coming from the fact that you have been born again. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible What Peter does is to ground the command to love in the new birth that we have in Christ. Now, the New Testament is full of this language of being born again. Think of Jesus' words in John chapter 3, speaking to Nicodemus, and he says, You must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's our memory verse for this month. Christ is the center of our lives. He is the source and the power, the newness of our life resides in your new birth in Jesus. For you are indeed a new creation. What was old is passing away. And the New Testament speaks of that as a, as a fact. That's just because you belong to Christ. But it also speaks of it as a command. The old is being put to death. In fact, it calls you to put it to death. Put that in the context, then, of loving one another. 
Does the old man raise its head in your relationships to those who are closest to you? Do you find that selfishness sometimes leads to arguments with your spouse? Do you find that pride or arrogance makes you look down on others in the congregation? Do you find that you're jealous of what they have? Or does anger have its way, your words, with those who ought to be your friends? Christ calls you to put to death what is old. That means when you see those old selfish motives start to corrode your life with those that are your brothers and sisters, that you have reason to do battle against that sin. And the reason is this. God himself has loved you and has adopted you into his family. And according to his abundant mercy, God has begotten you again to a living hope. That's where Peter starts in, this, in his letter, verse 3 of chapter 1. You no longer belong to Satan. You're no longer a slave to those desires and your sins. Behold, all things are new. All things are new. And it's not just a temporary, superficial makeover that takes place. It's not a pretended love for one another. Instead, the life that you now live is transformed because you are born of incorruptible seed. Incorruptible. It will not fade or pass away. Your mind your heart, your affections, your goals, all of you now belong to Christ because of your new birth. All of you, every one of you, and all of you. And out of this new identity comes love for God and love for one another. Just to make that abundantly clear, That is love for your brothers and sisters who are, by the way, also children of God. Sinners saved by grace, just like you. And how does this newness of life happen in your life? How does such transformation, we've talked about the source Now we can think about the power or some of the means that God uses. Peter calls attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here he is assuming from earlier in in his letter that the Holy Spirit brings the dead to life. That's our, our regeneration. That's not the end of the work of the Holy Spirit. He continues to work throughout the rest of your life. He continues to sustain you, to lead you, to conform you, and convict you. And he does that work through the instrument of God's word. Look at the second half of verse 23. You are born again through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, grass, 
and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. It is through God's word that the Holy Spirit works to bring about this newness of life both in your salvation and now in your sanctification. And very directly, it is by the, the, the use of God's word that he, he stirs you up to love God and to love your neighbors as yourself. Well, isn't it, isn't it, is it any wonder then that David calls God's word sweeter than honey? and more precious than gold. Is it any wonder that we love God's word? We read it, we think about it, we memorize it, we meditate on it. It's because the Holy Spirit is at work in the midst of that. There is power, not from us, but from God, that is making that word effectual in our lives. It is, as Romans 1 says, the, uh, this, the source and, 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 excuse me, it is the power of God unto salvation. And specifically, it is by that word that we are born again, that we, and it is by that word that we love one another with a pure heart. And the Bible then teaches us from beginning to end what that love is. It describes love. It describes how to practice it. The Bible leads you to know God and to love him, to, to know and love your neighbor as yourself. And I'm struck here by the connection that Peter makes to Jesus' words and his summary of the Old Testament. Now, if I were to ask you about a passage in the Bible that would teach you how to love, you might say 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter, I've already quoted from it today. Love is patient, kind, and so on. But Jesus turns to the law. Turns to the Ten Commandments. And it's the Ten Commandments that we often will summarize in our minds as a as constricting our behavior with a list of do's and don'ts. That's not Jesus' interpretation of the law. That's not how we treat it. The law itself is an expression of love. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. This may help you to understand why Peter quotes from Isaiah 40 here. We're like grass. We sprout out, we sprout up quickly, we grow really well in the summer, things are nice and green when there's lots of water, but it doesn't last. So look out the windows, it's brown. The grass withers and fades. If they bears flowers, those things fall away. The point here is that if you go about the renovation of your life in your own strength, you may have some success for a time. 
you might be able to wrestle down selfish desires and pin them for a little bit. You might stir up some measure of love for one another, but it won't endure. It will fade and fall away. But the word of God endures forever. And the Spirit uses that word on and on and on in our lives. You are now a child of God, made alive in Christ, and that life cannot and will not be snatched away by anything. That life then gives expression in loving God and then loving our neighbors as ourselves. Since you have been born again, since you are his pilgrims, since you have been born of an incorruptible seed, since the Spirit lives in you and brings his word to light, since the word of the Lord endures forever, then you will find enduring strength to put to death that which is old, to put on what is new. The source and the power of love comes from God himself. That alone will hold our congregation together. You won't be able to manufacture it in and of yourselves. It must come from Christ. Since God has loved you, love one another from the heart. Let's pray. Lord God, forgive us for our many sins, which are an offense to you and are so often an offense to our brothers and sisters. God, forgive us for thinking too highly of ourselves. Forgive us for speaking without thinking. Forgive us for being selfish and angry, and covetous. Lord, we acknowledge that they are sins against you. We acknowledge that they are sins against those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, out of devotion to you, I pray that we would set our our eyes and our hearts on Jesus Christ, who has loved us in such a way. As we have been loved by God, I pray that we would love our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us love one another from the heart. Let us sing from the heart a song that praises God for the unity that we enjoy. Unity that comes from Christ. Psalm 133, Selection A. Please stand to sing.